Open your Bibles with me to Zechariah chapter 1, Zechariah chapter 1 and Ezra chapter 4, Zechariah 1 and Ezra 4. We started back in our study of Zechariah. A pastor from New York texted me and said, I have a question. Are you going to finish Zechariah this time? (laughs) I said, man, I sure hope so. That's the plan. And it's been fun getting back into it. Uh, honestly, it, it, it's it's been a blast. You know, I feel like I've learned, and maybe I learned it the first time and forgot it, but I feel like I've learned stuff new this time as we're going through it. And I'm excited to present it to you. Last week, we kind of did an introduction, an overview of what had happened. Remember, you had the the carrying away of the nation of Israel into captivity. Look at Jeremiah Hopefully, you see, my Bible has a bunch of ribbons now. You guys need to get Bibles with a lot of ribbons or tear the maps out or whatever it is in the back and use those. But uh, look, look at the book of Jeremiah, chapter 25. And I hope from last week, and I hope we believe this anyway, but you need to believe when God tells you something, you need to believe it, Right? So look at Jeremiah chapter 25, look at verse, uh, let's look at verse 11. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon. And that nation saith the Lord for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans, and will make it perpetual desolations. Just let me make a comment on that. So you have this king that is going to take and destroy God's nation. And God let him do it. God didn't cause him to do it. God let him do it. And that is going to accomplish his purposes. And then God's going to destroy that king for attacking his people. You know what that's like? My brother, you know, he was in here last week. And I don't know if you noticed, he's a lot bigger than me. So he'd always beat me up when we were kids. You know, we'd fight and he'd always beat me up. But nobody else was allowed to beat me up. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about on that? And so that's God. God can chasten his people. But anybody else? that touches his people, they're in a really bad place. Right? And so as we're looking at this, what happened was they owed God 70 years because for 490 years they had not kept that sabbatical year, that Sabbath year. And so now God says, well, I'm going to take those 70 years back. I'm going to take them back. And so the people have gone back to the land, and they did, they did great. They started, the first thing they did, they, they did primitive dwellings for themselves, And they built, the first thing they did was they built God's place of worship. So they put God's worship ahead of their own needs. That's what we're supposed to do. And we're always in better places when we do that. When we put God first, it works out better for us. If I love God more than I love Laura, I'll love Laura better. Right? So when God says, you know, if you don't hate your mother and father, you can't be my disciple, in another place... He describes that, what that means. That what will happen when you love God more than anything else, your family that doesn't love God will think you hate them. 
so interesting. It's so interesting when you look at the Scriptures and you see what God says. But you know what will happen? If you love God, God's people will love you for loving God. And then you'll know better how to love God's people because you love God. First John makes it very clear. We love because we were first loved. We don't even know how to love until God loves us. And so in the book of Zechariah, God loves his people. He's, he's chastened them for 70 years because he told them he would. And do you know what you should do? You should believe God. Did God want to do that? No. No. But he told them, if you don't do this, I will punish you. Look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. We will get to those other passages, maybe. I make no promises. Hebrews, chapter 12. Look at verse 5. Hebrews, chapter 12, and verse 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto what? Children. Now, how many of you have kids? How many of you have kids? You like them? Sometimes. This morning, not so much. Trying to get to church. But even when you're angry with them, if somebody tried to... You know, I use the illustration, my brother and I were fighting. We fought all the time. And uh, so, because he was bigger than me, I'd throw stuff at him. And so, I threw a tape measure at my brother as hard as I could. And he ducked. And, you know, my dad was a church planter, but he had a furniture repair business. That's the way he paid the bills. And my brother ducked, and he had just, Dad had just finished this table, and I took a gouge out of the top of this table. It's like a $10,000, crazy expensive table. I found out <laughs> that I shouldn't have done that. And Dad used, you've not been chastened until you work in a wood shop where there are dowel rods handy. Oh, my. <laughs> I learned a lesson. All right? But here's the thing. While Dad was chastening me, all right, and I think some of it was for my good. I think some of it was out of anger, and I think all of it was deserved. Okay? Um, but if someone had broken into Dad's shop at that moment, the aggression would have turned immediately from me, from punishing me to protecting me. Are you all with me on that? You know what I mean? And so God loves us. So look at, look at this verse again. Verse 5, Hebrews 12, 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou. Remember the word despise, it means don't ignore it. Pay attention to it. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. So... Young people, let me, let me say this to you, especially when you become teenagers. Um, because you're growing into adulthood. You know, you're, you're able to make your own decisions. Your minds are working, you know, sometimes. <laughs> but you are. You're, you're able to make decisions. You're able to think. You're starting to discern right and wrong and fairness and unfairness and all of those things. And sometimes... Let's just be honest. How many of you teenagers, you've ever been punished and you felt like it wasn't fair? Be honest. Raise your hand. Has that ever happened? Probably universal. You adults, when your parents punished you, was there ever a time when you thought it wasn't fair? Raise your hand. Okay? And let me just say this. You're probably wrong. <laughs> I don't know. There are probably times when I was punished. 
But, you know, it balances out. All the times I should have been punished and wasn't, the time or two when I got punished for something I didn't do, I'm still ahead of the game, okay? And I think, don't we all agree with that? You know, I got a ticket a while back and I was bummed, you know. But what about all the times I deserved a ticket and didn't get one, right? So, young people, when you are chastened, look at, look at what the Bible says right here. It says, verse, uh, at the end of verse 5, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. So here's what happens with young people. All right, not all young people, but I'm sure in a, in a youth group this size, here's what happens. You're punished for a behavior, but you take it as an indictment of your person. So you say you are being, your, your parents punish you for being disrespectful. Well, then you say, oh, my parents think I'm a bad person. Young people, you got to understand this. We never think that. That's not what we think. We think that you're being disrespectful. And here's what I would say. I'm not going to have a disrespectful son. I'm not going to have a disrespectful daughter. Parents, is that kind of the way that you would think as well? That, that's the issue. And even while we're disciplining you, we die for you at the same time. If we didn't care, we wouldn't chasten you. If we didn't care, we wouldn't do the correction. Parents who don't care about their kids allow the children to do whatever they want. When you love them, you want to restrain them and help to, to shape you. So do, first of all, don't ignore the chastening or the discipline. Don't ignore it. And then don't, what's the word that the Bible uses here? It says, don't faint. Don't faint. What does that mean? You just fall out. You quit. You quit the relationship. You quit trying to serve God. You quit trying to do right. That's a terrible thing. Um, any of you employers or supervisors, you've corrected an employee and they quit. And you know what you say? Hallelujah. <laughs> right? Because you can't work with someone that can't be corrected. You can't do it. Or you allow them to keep making the mistakes and you get fired. Or people stop doing business with you. I'm thinking Bob Curlis. Bob, as a pharmacist, imagine if he had a, an aide, a tech, whatever the terminology is, who's filling the prescriptions wrongly. How many of you would want Bob to correct that? Right? If he doesn't correct that, it has consequences. People die, he gets sued, goes to jail, whatever. Right? There's consequences to it. So all of us, there are consequences to decisions we make. And when God loves us, he chastens us. Now, look at the next verse, verse 6. For whom the Lord, what's that next word? Loveth, he chasteneth. Now, I have heard of children when they're, when they're chastened of their parents, looking at their parents and saying, I hate you. Remember the Tim Hawkins thing? I don't care. I'm not your friend. I'm your father. You start paying some of the bills around here, you and me, are we're BFFs. <laughs> so I'm not your friend, I'm your father. Now, that's Tim Hawkins doing comedy, but man, it is so true. You know what's wonderful? If you raise your kids right, then you can be friends when they're adults. Until then, you're their parent. So look at what this says. Whom the Lord, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. What's that next word? Not the and, but what's that next word? Is that a 
happy word, then, then what's the next word? Every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof, what's that next word? All are partakers. Then are ye everyone? It's okay to say it in church. It's a Bible word. What's it say? Then are ye what? Bastards and not sons. So what's that saying? Fatherless people don't get the proper chastening. Do you think maybe that's a problem with our society? You say, wait a minute. Mom chastened me. It is not the same. Let's be honest. Who would you rather spank you, mom or dad? Now, I know somebody said, well, you haven't seen my mom. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Remember the old Inga? I know. <laughs> but there's just a difference. There's just a difference. And there's supposed to be a difference. So there are so many lessons that we can learn from this. But the primary lesson is God chastens the people that He loves. So what was it when God put them in 70 years of captivity? It's chastening. It was done out of love. It was done out of love. That's so hard for us to grasp. Laura and I watched that um, Ben-Hur movie, the new Ben-Hur movie. And, man, I don't know how accurate it was as far as what it was like in the time, but I can tell you this, you wouldn't have wanted to been under Roman oppression. Right? And the only thing that I could think of while that was going on, you were showing, showing, they were showing how awful the Romans were to the Jews, and they were. But I said it to Laura, it didn't have to happen. If Israel had done right, it didn't have to happen. Think about that. You know, my dad, sometimes he would say, you brought this on yourself, right? The Jews brought it on themselves. And so that love that God had for his people, he had to rein them in. He had to restrain them because they had agreed to the law. Now, let's go to the book of Ezra. So remember what happened last week. We talked about how the children of Israel had gone back and there were, there were about a million that had been carried away in the captivity and only f less than 50,000 went back to the land. They got back to the land and they started doing right, but they got opposition uh, and so they stopped. Now, this morning we're going to look at what that opposition was and we're going to address some of those things. So look at Ezra chapter 4 and verse 1. Now, when the adversaries of Judah, so Ezra chapter 4, verse 1, and be sure and have a Bible. If you didn't bring one with you, look in the chair, under the chair in front of you. There's a Bible there for you to use um, because you'll be lost if you don't have a Bible in front of you. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, look at this. So this is the people of the land. Let us build with you. 
For we seek your God as ye do. And we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Esar Hadon, king of Asher, and which brought us up hither. So here, here's what's going on. They go back to the land. They start building the temple. But the people of the land want to help them. But the problem is the people of the land hadn't obeyed God. They had intermarried with the people of the land. God wanted a pure people. Why? Why did God want a pure people? See, when we hear that now, we think racism. Right? Well, it's because God had to bring a Messiah. And that Messiah had to come through a pure race of people. The Messiah had to come from that specific race in order to be able to pay for our sin and to be the Messiah. That's why God did that. So was it right for God to do that? Yes. And so it was wrong for those people to intermarry. Let me step back from that just for a minute. Um, to take that and to say that you have to marry from your same race today and make it some kind of sinful thing to marry outside of your race, that's a complete distortion of Scripture. It's a complete distortion of Scripture. Because honestly, my race, I think, is mongrel. And so I would have to find somebody that's part Irish, part German. You heard about the guy that was half Italian, half German? He could attack and surrender at the same time. So, so I'm part Italian, I'm part Irish, I'm part Scottish, I'm part Jewish, and then whatever else snuck in in between there. All right, so to, to maintain that, then what I'm going to have to say is that well, the Scottish, Irish, and Jewish is okay. Everything else is bad. But the problem is the Jewish thing in there messes everything up. So now what are we going to do? It, it, it just falls down. The whole thing falls down. So those things are silly. They're wrong. Now, let's be honest about it. Before you marry into another race, you need to understand that there will be cultural issues that you're going to have to face. Opposition from the outside culture may be part of it. I think there's less of that now than there used to be. But I'm just telling you, when you go into another race's home at Christmas, they're going to have some different traditions than you have. They're going to... So am I saying that you shouldn't do it? No, but you need to understand what you're getting into before you walk into it. Is that fair, everybody? That's just fair. I, I, you got a godly man and a godly woman. They want to serve God together. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to marry them. We want them to be members at Grace Baptist Church and grow in the Lord together. But I'll also counsel them. Have you guys counted the cost on this? You need to look at this. You need to check this out. But man, some of the racist stuff that has come out over the centuries that they're trying to base, uh, base on Scripture, it's just wrong. Amen? It is just... Now, let me just say this out loud as pastor of Grace Baptist Church. If you, do, if you hate someone... Because of their race, you need to get right with God. And if we hear you saying those things at Grace Baptist, we will kick you out of here. This is private property. We'll call the police. You don't, get to be, you don't have to be here. We're out on that. Amen? There's people of all different races in this room. To, to say that one race is better than another or any of those things, that has nothing to do with Scripture. We said last week, God chose the smallest, most stubborn, most rebellious people to make his own. And do you know what those people ended up being? The most racist people in the world. I mentioned when I was in uh, Israel, I'm walking down the street in Israel. 
and a Pharisee, you know, had the, the, a real thing, you know, the Orthodox Jew. He'd walk by like this because he didn't want to look at me because of my, my Christianity, because of my race. That's racism. That's sin. That's wrong. So when we're talking about the Samaritans, God wanted Israel to stay pure because they were his chosen people and the Messiah was going to come through them and he was going to make of them a great nation. And they were the instrument to bring other people to him. But if they mingled with the other gods, with the other races, with the other nations, they could no longer be that distinct people. Right? In the church, there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. We're all one in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what race you are. We are one in Jesus Christ. Is that it? So to take what God had for that particular nation and try and apply it across the board is blatantly unscriptural. It is wrong. All right, so now when here, these people, they want to build the temple with the people who had done right, come back, they're trying to do right, they want to worship God God's way. Now you have these people that had violated God's law, and even the way they say it, look at verse 2 again. Let us build, it's in the middle of the verse, let us build with you, for we seek, does it say our God? What's it say? Your God as ye do. And we do sacrifice unto him. Verse 3, but Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, Sure. No. Ye have nothing to do with us to build an house unto our God. But we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, hath commanded us. Then the people of the land, look at, weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. So let's, let me give you an idea of what's going on here. Let's put it in church talk. Okay? So here's Grace Baptist Church. And our authority, our sole authority is the Word of God. That's all that we're going to do. We're going to take the Word of God, rightly divide it, whatever the Bible says we're going to do. If the Bible tells us not to do something, we're not going to do that. That's, that's who we are at Grace Baptist Church. So, so another group comes in and they say, we want to work with you. Praise God. But we don't believe the Bible is the sole authority. Okay, sorry, no. Bye-bye. Now, here's what I would say to them. I would say, okay, let's do this. Let's, I'd take their leader, and I, and I would say, let's get the Bible. Let's sit down with the Bible, and let's see if we can agree. You know what you've done then? You've gained your brother. And can two walk together except they be agreed? No. Jesus said, I would that they would all be one as I, my Father, and one are one. Well, the Father and the Son. Did you know the Father and the Son don't disagree about salvation by grace through faith alone? You know they agree on that? Do you know that the Father and the Son actually agree on what a church is? It's a called-out assembly of born-again, baptized believers meeting voluntarily in a specific location for the purpose of carrying out the Great Commission, exhortation, exposition of the Scriptures, making disciples, doing all things whatsoever the Lord commanded. That's what a church is. Observing and defending the ordinances. There's only two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. We, there's two offices. There's the pastor and the deacon. All those things are, are crystal clear in the Scriptures. And so if somebody agrees with those things, do you know what they can do? 
build the house of God with us. Right? We build the house of God. What's the house of God? These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So we can build the church. Jesus Christ is going to build it through his laborers. That's us. We're going to do, we're co-laborers with Christ is what the Bible says. And we can be co-laborers and accomplish things for God if we agree with the Bible. But if somebody doesn't agree with the Bible, we're not working with them. And so somebody will come in, Pastor, there's a great movement going on in Sydney. Do you want to do with it? Well, who's, who's, who's involved? Well, Pastor Mary. Oh, hold on just a minute. No. Why? Because the Bible says that women aren't supposed to be pastors. It's just men. Well, that's not fair. Well, whatever. You're saying God's not fair. Is God fair? Yes. Is life fair? No. Get over it. Right? And so there are simple things. Do they believe in salvation by grace through faith alone? What do they teach about the gospel? Well, they teach that you have to... That, that, that you believe, but then you have to speak in tongues. No. No, not going to do it. Not going to participate with them. Well, they do baptize babies. Well, do those babies become a member of the church? Well, yeah, that's what baptism of babies is. Well, then no. We're not going to work with them. Not going to do it. Why? Because it violates the Scriptures. I always say, if you can find me a baby being baptized in the Scriptures, I'll eat it. And they'll say, what, the baby or the Scriptures? Both. Because <laughs> I don't have to worry about it. Somebody's going to leave here. Pastor Alter eats babies. <laughs> no. In order to build together, we have to believe the same thing. Is that fair? And here's the deal. It's always the believer that has to compromise. Can't we all just get along? Why don't we just compromise? Well, what of that do you want to compromise? Okay, you don't really have to believe in Jesus. Okay, it's okay to say that you have to speak in tongues. When the Bible says if you add something to the gospel, you're supposed to be accursed. Yeah, that's right. How can I pray for your blessing and curse you at the same time? No, no, I need to pray for your cursing. God, stop that guy's mouth. Don't let him have any influence. Stop that woman preacher. Stop her. Stop her. It's, unbelie it, it's unbiblical. That's how we're supposed to pray. And so what happens is when you, when you refuse to work with religious compromisers, they don't pray for you. They hate you. Isn't that interesting? You know, I can't tell you how many times that's happened. Pastor, can, you know, we want to do this with you. And well, you know what? Man, I appreciate what you guys are trying to do and the things that you do right. I hope God blesses. But because of these areas, we can't cooperate with you in that. We can't do it. Man, they get so mad. And my first thought is, where's the love? When you stand for the scriptures, look at, I'll give you an example of it. Keep your place here in Ezra, but go to John chapter 17. And look with me at verse 14. It says, I have given... This is Jesus, of course, praying to his Father. 
He said, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Those of us who understand our place in the world because of the word of God, worldly Christians hate us. The secular world hates us. But don't be surprised, Jesus said, don't be surprised when they hate you. They hated me first. So if we're going to be like Christ, then the world's going to hate us. If you're looking for the smile of the world, well, then you're going to get the frown of God. So they did a good job, Zerubbabel, Jeshua, They did a good job rejecting what the world was going to do. So you have these compromisers that want to come and build the house of God. Go back to Ezra with me. Ezra chapter 4 and verse 4. So in verse 3, if you look at uh, the end of the verse, it says, um, But we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel... As the King Cyrus, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, hath commanded us. They had a commission. They were going to complete and fulfill their commission. Is that right? But look at what these people wanted to do. Verse 4. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building. So the children of Israel that had gone back, they had done a good job. They had started. They built the place of worship before they built their own homes. But now they're getting some trouble. And it's not, it's not insignificant trouble. It's real trouble. Then look at verse 5. And hired counselors against them. What is that? Lawyers. Lawyers. So first thing they'll do is they'll try to corrupt your doctrine. When they can't corrupt your doctrine, they'll try and stop you. When they can't stop you from doing what you're supposed to do, they'll take you to court. The higher lawyers against you. That happens all over the world. All over the world, they try to use the government to stop people from doing what God wants them to do. And they hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And then they started sending letters. When Ahasuerus became the leader, they sent him a letter saying, these people are doing evil. And you get that in verse 11. This is the copy of the letter that they sent Uh, I said Ahasuerus, it's Artaxerxes. Unto him, even unto Artaxerxes, the king, thy servants, the men on this side of the river, and at such a time, be it known unto the king that the Jews, which came up from thee to us, are come unto Jerusalem, building, look at this, the rebellious and the bad city, and have set up the walls thereof and joined the foundations. Oh, man, these people are rebellious. They're against everything that we're doing. So I'll give you an example of how that works today. If you stand up against transgender bathrooms, you're the divider. You're the troublemaker. I didn't change the bathroom. We're not the people that are causing the trouble. Amen. I know what a man is. I know what a woman is. Right? We know what that is. But we're the troublemakers. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to take us to court. They're going to try and sue us. Okay. Take away our buildings, we'll go meet under a tree. We don't need a building to have church. Now we're still building the building <laughs> right now. We're going to do that. Don't stop giving. All right, now. <laughs> Pastor said we're meeting under a tree. Hallelujah. <laughs> All right. So this is the way the world works. They, they, they want you to join them in their compromise. 
And then you, you say, no, we've got a standard. Well, now you're the enemy and they're going to do everything they can to stop you. So now what happened was they did stop. And they stopped for 16 years. 16 years. Go to Haggai chapter... So there's just the, so go to Zechariah and go back one. All right? Haggai. So Haggai and Zechariah are contemporaries. I'll tell you something fun I learned yesterday. So Zechariah and Haggai are born 550 B.C. They're born in the year 550 B.C. Confucius was born the year before. So does that help you get some time frame in your mind? Uh, that kind of stuff interests me. All right. So here in Haggai chapter 1, verse 1, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord. So you see the specific date right there? We know what that date is because we found the inscriptions. Archaeologists have found the inscriptions. It's August 29th, 520 B.C. We know the exact day that this happened. Yesterday, I was watching uh, a YouTube video where they have found the palace at Shushan where all of this took place. And so you can, you can, they, they found the foundations of it. You can see where it all happened. You can, everything. The, the book of Esther. When, when uh, Nehemiah is going to the king, it's there at the palace at Shushan. It's a real place, and you can, you can see those things. That's exciting to me. The Bible is real. It's true. It happened. So in the second year of Darius, and look at it, what it says in the middle of the verse, came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet, unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, now, of course, this is not Joshua, the son of Nun. This is a different. Do you all know that Joshua didn't have a dad? Didn't have a mom, son of Nun? Yeah. All right. So now, <laughs> some of these guys. <laughs> mom, did Joshua really not have a mom and dad? Okay, bad joke. All right. Um, so look at verse 4. This is what he said. This is what Haggai said by the word of God. Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? And this house lie waste. So here's what happened. For good reason, because of all the trouble, they stopped building the house of God. And they went back to building their own houses. Remember, they had built just primitive dwellings for themselves, but now they've got plastered ceilings. And their, plate, their homes are awesome, but the house of God only has a foundation. That's it. It's not done. And after 16 years, have you ever seen a construction project that got stopped and how nasty it is when it just sits there? That was the temple of God. And so what the book of Haggai is, it's challenging the people and correcting them. Then the book of Zechariah is encouraging them to finish. But let's go to Zechariah and look at the way that it begins, the message of Zechariah. You know what? Let's stop there. Number one, it's going to take longer to get through Zechariah than I had planned. <laughs> Y'all are out there saying, yeah. All right. 
I think that, that we have a message from God today. And that is God's work has to be done God's way. When we don't do, when we as believers don't do God's work God's way, then He chastens us because He loves us. You know, there are a lot of churches that are closing. Why? Because they didn't have the blessing of God on them. You know, I don't want us to lose the momentum that God is giving us at Grace Baptist Church. And here's what people think they think they can gain momentum in the world by compromising with the world. But if we're like the world, then there's no reason for the world to come out of the world and join with us. We have to be different than the world. Now, we don't set out to be different. You know, let's all wear the same uniform and, you know, we'll have Kool-Aid for everybody downstairs in the basement after the service. That's not the way that we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be different by our love one for another by our love for Jesus and our love for His Word, our love for lost souls, and our desire to be a holy people. That's how we ought to be different from the world. Do you all agree with that? Do worldly churches want us to be those things? No. So what we at Grace Baptist have to do is as we're fighting for the Lord in this world, we have to somehow do it exhibiting the love of Christ. We need the Holy Spirit to help us do that. So here, this is, this is the application of the message. God chastens the people that He loves. All right? Not, he chastens them. And then we're supposed to learn something from that chastening. We're not supposed to compromise with the world. We're supposed to stay right. But then, here's really important. This is really important. These people stopped. They had good reasons for stopping, but those reasons were no excuse. Anybody here? Have any trouble at all in the last week? If you did, raise your hand. If you had some trouble in the last week. Okay, so God said, okay, you don't have to serve me this week. You don't have to tell anybody about Jesus. You don't have to love your wife. You don't have to discipline your children. You don't have to pay your bills. You don't have to come to church. You got trouble. No. See, what we're supposed to do when we're in trouble is show the world what we do when we're in trouble. Do you know why God was so angry at the children of Israel? is because they didn't show the world what they do when hard times come. They said, we cave, you win. Now, aren't you glad that they changed and got it right for a period of time? And that's what we're going to learn about from the book of Zechariah. But folks, a lot of you have a reason. You have reasons why you don't serve God, why you don't tell people about Jesus, why you don't give. You know, let's just, I could, you know, since my sermon's short today, I, I could preach on that. Why don't you tell people about Jesus? 3% of people invited people to church last year. Now, how many of you think Grace Baptist would do better than that? I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But how many of you think it's 100%? Shouldn't it be? It ought to be, 100%. So we need to do better with that. You know, well, I'll invite people to Jesus when I get my life right. Good luck. Because inviting people to Jesus is part of getting your life right. I was watching a, a guy, um, and it was so funny. He's talking about how these college protests are so silly. He said, who cares what an 18-year-old thinks? Six years ago, you were 12. I love this. He said, 
How about this? How about you learn how to clean your room? And then you can protest. The other thing he said is how pointless protest is. It doesn't fix anything. It allows you to throw a temper tantrum, but it doesn't fix anything. It's so interesting. His whole point was clean up your own house before you try and change the world. And so this liberal guy that was, that was interviewing him, this completely offended him. And he said, well, what about climate change? Don't you think these people need to, need to, to care about the... Don't you think that's more important than, than taking care of their room? He said, no, because how they take care of the room is how they're going to take care of the planet. Right. Boom. <laughs> Drop the mic. <laughs> what am I saying? If we're going to do what God wants us to do, we've got to clean up our own house. We've got to build the house of God. And that's way more important than my house. And you're saying, that's easy for you because you just finished remodeling your house. Now you preach this. This timing is fortuitous. <laughs> but honestly, we've got to put God's house before our house. We've got to be who God wants us to be in the world. We have reasons. And let me say this. Your reasons are real. I get it, but it's no excuse. We're still supposed to do what we're supposed to do in this world. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So the challenge from Zechariah, from Haggai, from Ezra, the challenge is, look, when you try to do God's work God's way, the world's going to fight against you. And it's going to be hard, but you're still supposed to do what God wants you to do. I can't give because until I get these things paid for, until I get this cared for. That's not God's plan. That's just not God's plan. God expects you to give. It's your responsibility. Um, I just got to say, and if you don't, keep coming. I'm glad that you're here. I want you to be here. Amen, church? But, but give. And I just want to put this little thought in your head. We love you, but you're stealing Somebody's got to pay for the lights. Somebody's got to pay for the chairs. Somebody's got to pay for the preacher. It's, your, it's the person who's getting it. If I go into a restaurant and I walk out, and was there a problem with the meal? No, it was awesome. Well, why aren't you going to pay? Eh, I got other stuff to pay for first. How many of you have been fed today? Would you raise your hand? Amen. Should we take another offering? Because somebody's going to walk out of here having not paid. If you're a guest, please don't pay. We don't want it. You are our guest. Take the meal, enjoy it, and get a doggy bag and take extras home. Amen, church? Amen. Praise God. If this is your church, time to start paying for your own meals. You see what I'm talking about? People love the, high, the pie in the sky principles when you bring it down to the wallet, when you bring it down to raising your own children, when you bring it down to loving somebody that is ugly to you, man, it gets hard. It gets hard. That's when we need the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? Amen. Man, let's do right. Let's do right. Tonight, I'm going to finish this morning's message. <laughs> Since I didn't even get to it yet. <laughs> I hope you'll be here tonight. You know, let me say this. When, look, look around the room. Look around. Look at everybody who's here. Anybody who's not here tonight, shame on you. 
I got a meal ready for you. Come tonight and eat it. Five o'clock. Amen. Be back here tonight. I promise you, you'll be glad you did. Let's all stand together. All right, so what have we learned? What, what, what are the handles that we're putting on this message? Number one, if God loves you, He chastens you when you disobey. Amen? God loves you, He chastens you when you disobey. When you're being chastened, first of all, don't ignore it because it'll just last longer. Right? Secondly, don't faint from it. Don't say, well, God doesn't love me anymore. I'm going to quit. No, you're being chastened because He loves you. Right? Secondly, when you're doing God's work, the world will try and make you compromise that work. When you no longer compromise, they will attack you. When that attack comes, so many people quit. Here's where people fall. They fall from the compromise. Those who don't compromise fall from the attack. Those who don't fall from the attack or the compromise, those are the overcomers. That's who God wants us to be. Amen? We can't do it on our own. We need the Holy Spirit of God to do that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the lessons from Zechariah.